Hi, everyone, and welcome to the official Dream Dinner Party podcast. I'm your host, Ross Bullen. And I'm your other host, Gary Allmeter. And today with us, we have Caitlin Kunkel. Welcome, Caitlin. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So Caitlin's a, a writer, a comedy writer, a, a teacher, um, uh, who's a co-founder of the, the humor site, The Belladonna, the co-founder of the Satire and Humor Festival, um, and one of the authors of uh, New Erotica for Feminists, uh, <laughs> published, um, what was that, 20... 2018. 2018, an extremely funny book. And I can say from personal experience, an excellent uh, teacher um, and uh, someone who's helped me a lot with my own comedy writing and, and publishing stuff and and a, a real pro. So thank you, Caitlin, for being here. Um, can you tell us a little more about what you're kind of up to these days? Sure. Thank you so much for that very nice intro. I am. Oh, let's see. So like a lot of people in 2020, I questioned all my life decisions. So at that point, I moved a little bit away from the sort of short satire and humor writing I had been doing for about 10 years up to that point. And for the first time since finishing college, I decided to get back into fiction. I am one of those horrific people who wrote a novel during the pandemic, <laughs> but I will say it hasn't been published yet. So don't feel too envious of me. But uh, I've pivoted back to working into more long form comedic fiction. I'm writing a bunch of new classes and just trying to really bring in new inspiration and material into my life and then write books and classes based on that. I feel like I did my decade of <laughs> satirical humor and, um, you know, short form stuff. And now I want to do some longer stuff. So that's where I'm at, trying to reinvent myself at this point in time. It feels like that's a common kind of itch, I think, for a lot of people who do short humor stuff is that, you know, it's it's such a great form in a lot of ways because you can do it quickly and it can be topical. Um, but the short part does kind of I mean, that's what's good about it, but it's also such a limiting factor, right, is that you can't really uh, if you have something larger to say or or something bigger you want to kind of create, it's, you know, hard to do in that in that in that form. Um, so, yeah, I think we've. To a lot of people who kind of got their start in in short humor and have branched, maybe not necessarily into fiction, but into like memoir or whatever else. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's 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 reasonable. And Gary's done yeah, all these I, things. He's uh, he's the uh, he's the pioneer of the short humor to 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 novel <laughs> slash memoir pipeline. So slash. I'm walking I'm, I'm, in your footsteps, Gary. It's like yeah. a Jesus photo. You are carrying me. <laughs> I'm truly, truly a pioneer. Yes, yes, yes. And podcast listeners, what you don't see, we're recording on Zoom. But when Caitlin talks about this stuff, her whole face lights up. Her arms start waving to and fro. Like when we say, what do you do? Yes, it's an occupation, but it's clear that it's it's, you know, a calling and, you know, a daily source of of joy. At least that's that's what I'm seeing. That's really nice that you said that. And I will say again, like 2020, it was no longer necessarily feeling like a source of joy to me at that time. And I am yeah. glad to have kind of come out of that period. I'm sure, you know, I know you're a teacher, Ross, and <laughs> there are times when like teaching can feel more like a job, but then other times when you become newly inspired and you meet interesting students. And I especially love to work with non-traditional students. I have taught college 
And like, I, you know, I love working with those students, but I do find working with international students and people who are older, people who have potentially never written comedy, but who are doctors, they're lawyers, they're journalists, and helping them take their existing skills and knowledge and put it into a new form is, I think, the kind of teaching I've really gotten interested in as I've gotten older, too. Um, I just really love to work with people. Well, like one of my favorite comedy students I've ever worked with is he runs a funeral home in Tennessee. And as you can imagine, he had some very yeah. funny things yeah. to say about death and dying. <laughs> oh my so God. I love the idea that I can work with someone like that and like give him the tools to like unleash his experiences onto the world wow. in a comedic way. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. And Ross, Ross is both international and older. So you checked two That's boxes right. with yeah. him. That's right. right. Yeah. Just <laughs> old, foreign, you know. <laughs> Uh, I probably live near a funeral home if I had to go Google mapping it. I'm, I'm, but it's uh, what's well, true. I mean, I, 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 I teach and I'm happy to be back in the classroom these days. Um, the online teaching, I mean, the technology got so much better. I mean, I didn't really use zoom before the pandemic and here we are recording a podcast on it. Um, but also for a class like yours, right. I mean, like there are places and, you know, to, to take a class like that, uh, on, on writing a book, a book proposal, um, you know, kind of before online teaching, I would have had to probably be in New York or somewhere or Chicago, or, I mean, Toronto is not a bad city for that kind of stuff to be fair, but like in general, but people were in that classroom, you know, all around North America. And, and it's, it's good that people can kind of like come together there and, and kind of share their expertise. Um, you know, likewise, the, the, you know, the, one of the, the few pod, well, I think the only podcast I've ever been a guest on, uh, other than this one, uh, you know, was recorded in person in someone's garage in Toronto, which is nice, but my, my garage is crowded and you guys aren't in Toronto. So it wouldn't really work that well. It's, 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 it's pleasant. Um, yeah. I also like not in the habit of flying internationally to go to a man's garage. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I, I truly don't <laughs> recommend it. Yeah. It's uh it's not even a nice garage at all, but, uh, but yeah. What's your, what's your novel about Caitlin? It if you, is if you about, can... Sure. So I, Briefly in my 20s, was working a bunch of jobs, as you do, and I found myself working in development or fundraising for a big arts organization in Chicago. And while I loved the organization, I loved everyone I worked with, I have to say I found the field of fundraising to be uh, disgusting, <laughs> to put it in a word. Um, it's very much... I will say my job was in some ways like dating older men who worked at companies to get them to give money to the arts organization. We would go to lunch together, talk on the phone, hang out. And it really made me curious about like, why do we have to do this whole song and dance? And so from there, I started to look into philanthropy, the history of billionaire philanthropy, wealthy families like the Sacklers who kind of used their money to whitewash um, the opioid crisis in America. Yeah. And I came up with an idea for a story about um, the first scene that came to me is still in the book, but it's like 40 pages in because my agent was like, can we have a little backstory before we get into the plot? But it is about a woman in Rhode Island, a blue collar woman named Mina. And through a series of events, she is told she's the last living member of the wealthiest family foundation on earth. And now she is going to become like the head of this foundation. But of course, once she gets into it, absolute wealth corrupts absolutely so she has to kind of fight her way out of this system and try to avoid being killed by this uh whole organism so it's inspired in some ways by the shining by stephen king because i always loved how the overlook hotel was a character that actually like yeah, interfaced yeah. with jack's alcoholism and used him as a tool for evil so in my mind this book is about you know kind of organized wealth going from andrew um 
Carnegie and his gospel of wealth up till now and how it's a tool for evil in the world. And she's going to bring this one down. So that's awesome. Oh, wow. Sounds incredible. Oh, I, it's hard to talk about because like it hasn't been published yet, but I'm like getting close to going on submission with my agent. But it's called right now. The title working title is morals are for little people, which is a Jenny Holzer phrase that I've always loved. And I can like oh. picture someone saying that out loud, like morals yeah, yeah. are for little people, like big people don't have to worry about tax law. They don't have to mm-hmm. worry about where the money is going. So this is also related to one of the people I'm going to talk about here and how his process inspired me. But yeah, it was very much like I worked this job 10 years before I started writing the book, but like I kind of started to notice I was reading a lot about philanthropy and family foundations and all that stuff. And then one day in October, 2020, I came up with the line, um, her edible had just kicked in when they came to tell her. And like this woman wakes up and there's like three bald men in her apartment. And again, I (laughs) rewrote that scene and moved it later. She's no longer incredibly high the entire scene, but I just love the idea that like, Playing with that idea that a lot of people think that being a billionaire is the best thing you can be. And this woman gets to see if that's actually true. So that's kind of the wow. thought experiment behind the book. Does money solve all your problems or not? <laughs> oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. And what are, what are you, you have such a clear vision for it too. Like you explain the synopsis so well, whenever I'm asked to describe any project, I, uh, it falls apart pretty quickly, um, as you know, because you've read my first draft proposal. So, so yeah, that's, your first draft was great. Right. Uh, I, I want to say the book is also a satire because I think sometimes yeah. people are like, "Oh, some goofy, weird stuff is happening." And I want to be clear: it is um, the genre is actually called hyper real, which I did not know until I started working on it. A teacher had to tell me, um, which is a genre meaning that it takes place in our normal world, except one element has been heightened out of reality. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like an example would be um, the Kevin Wilson book, Nothing to See Here, where everything's normal, except children can spontaneously catch on fire. (laughs) And that becomes a metaphor to talk about love. So like the hyper real element usually becomes a metaphor to examine something in society. So what's your hyper real element? The things the foundation is funding, (laughs) they do not currently exist, but I've kind of let my mind go wild in terms of like what i think billionaires are doing with all this money cool oh okay. i'm intrigued i'm intrigued don't tell us what it is we'll keep we'll say that as a yeah. the, 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 the big the big reveal um that book i mean we, there's a couple of things we need to talk about <laughs> that book nothing to see here was spectacular agreed and, i mean and i'm not typically one for like gnomes and magic and stuff but <laughs> I started that and couldn't put it down. I mean, what an amazing, amazing thing to do. So I'm glad I know there's a word for it. Um, And it's so moving, right? Like it has so much to say about like the nature of love. And I just was, I was laughing. I was inspired, but I was just so incredibly moved by the end. I was in tears. (laughs) Yeah. And you mentioned, I mean, the, the, the roommate, the former roommate that like, like, you know, become successful or, you know, suddenly is in a different tax bracket. Like what's that relationship like? You know, I really like that too. Also, I've talked about nothing but the bear for the last month. And you mentioned Chicago. Have you watched the bear, Caitlin? I watched the first two episodes and I found it very stressful. So I had to turn it off, but everything I know about me, I lived in Chicago for five years. Like I, have to think I would like the bear, but I also think like certain 
things you can only really engage with them when the time is right for you. Like the oh, first yeah, time I watched yeah. Fleabag by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I was like, what is the hype? I don't get it. And then I rewatched it a year later and watched the second season too and was incredibly moved again, crying. I have some religious trauma. So like the, the priest storyline in the second season really got me, but yeah, I think the bear is maybe like too much for my nervous system right now. And in the future, <laughs> It's a lot yeah, of yeah. yelling. It's a lot of yelling. Yeah. yeah, the guy, the guy who's in girls yells a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's uh, I we we don't the second season. We're on, I'm on Canadian TV time, so I've got another wait another week I think before we get it here. But uh, but it'll be. I mean, I have a friend though who worked in restaurants. Um, and uh, and he said everyone he knows who worked in restaurants just cannot watch the show. It's just like takes you right back to the worst experience you've ever had professionally, and it's like um. Uh, I've still not watched the chair on Netflix, which is about an English department. Cause I'm like, ah, yes. I know that I know it's going to be, uh, not a relaxing, even though it's like not a, it's like a pretty light show. I think on the whole, it's still gonna, yeah, I'm going to have to think about it every moment I'm watching it. So I haven't, uh, haven't got there yet. Um, I, def- I definitely appreciate the timing thing. That was me and the wire it took me like four times to yes. start the wire. I live in Baltimore and I promise when the time is right. Yeah, season one of the bear, it's like saving private Ryan. But season two is a completely different tone. It's it's like a love thing for Chicago. It's a whole different it's you will yeah. When the time is right, when the time is right, Caitlin. Yes. I do love Chicago. I think Chicago is a fantastic American city. It is so I mean, I lived I didn't move to New York until my early thirties, and so it's very funny to me, like people who talk about, they're like, oh, Chicago, like how far away is that? It's like, babe, it's a two hour plane ride. It's a major American city. Oprah lives there. Like, come it's on. It's so close. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, yeah. I love Chicago too. It it feels like, um, although Chicago and Toronto are not very much alike. They have so many superficial similarities. Like they're pretty much the exact same size, cold on a lake, they you know, have second like, cities. <laughs> both have second cities. Yeah. Like there's a, but uh, but it's such a different vibe, obviously, than, than being here. So every time I've been there, and it's been a few times, I'm always like, I love this place. It's great. Um, you know, I feel the way about a lot of cities, I guess. But but Chicago feels it's been a while. I've got to get back. Um, we'll have to do a sequel to this podcast because I'm rather certain that once Caitlin does see the bear and I promise I'll stop <laughs> talking about the bear, <laughs> she'll want to have her dream dinner party at, at Carmi's restaurant. Oh, there we go. Mm. OK, oh, yes. Yes. Interesting. Okay. okay. That was a nice dinner party segue, Gary, getting us Woo-hoo! getting us back on yes. track. Um, well, I'm a pioneer. I'm like the Ponce I, de Leon. Of, I, you are. Of, yeah, that's yeah. right. Just forging that fountain of youth out of out of nothing. Um, yeah, I don't think the fountain of youth is eating portillos and no. deep dish in Chicago. I'm not sure that is increasing people's longevity. But no, most Chicago food is designed to shorten your lifespan significantly, from from what I recall. Um, okay, so. One thing we always try and figure out uh, is what your dinner party, I guess, like, well, two things. One, like, as you mentioned, we were talking about the pandemic earlier, and obviously that put a stop to a lot of dinner parties. Are you back to having dinner parties as a regular part of your life? Or have you ever really been a, a dinner party person as guest or host? Or or what's your what's your relation there? Yeah, I've been back to going to a few dinner parties. I don't really cook. So I can't say I've hosted a ton of dinner parties myself. My husband does most of the cooking. I do cook blue apron, like box meals, uh, three nights a week. He does three nights a week and then we get takeout on the seventh day. So we're fair. 
But like, no, the idea of having people to my home to make food I've cooked is not something I'm going to do because I'm the kind of person who would have like a dip party. Like I'd make some like good old school dips and be like, sure. bring some celery, bring some crackers and we'll just dip it up. Um, but I have been to some dinner parties in the neighborhood. Uh, that was one thing about I live in Park Slope, Brooklyn. And like during the pandemic, I don't think I got on the subway for like a year and a half. I did not leave the borough of Brooklyn and walked everywhere because I just didn't want to be inside places. Yeah. Um, and so we get super close to a lot of our neighbors. We have a lot of friends from the dog park with our dog. And so, of course, by nature of that, we all live in probably within 10 blocks of each other. So I have a lot of friends who are older, who are in different places, you know, financially and in their lives. And they have just been so generous with hosting in their apartments with backyards in New York City, which I do not have. <laughs> so I'm fully back going to dinner parties and just feeling very grateful for people expanding their space for those of us who are more trapped inside a small apartment during yeah. the pandemic. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, 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 I think a lot of us, you know, had to find those outdoor dining options or, yes. or parks and all of that during, during that time. And, um, and, and still that's, you know, it's summer. So people like to, to have the, the, al, the alfresco dining experience. Um, so for this dinner party, your dream dinner party, mm-hmm. Where are you gonna ha- Where are you gonna have it? Is it gonna be at your? I'm guessing if you're uh, at your apartment or or at a restaurant or or somewhere else. What's your What's your your first the dog there? park? The dog the dog park. park yeah, and you can have it anywhere you want. Anywhere you want. We are actually going to have it on the beach because we're having a clam bake. Ooh. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that yeah, is scary. awesome. If you're in Baltimore, like I know you've been to like a crab boil, so. Uh, a clam bake is yeah you like bury the stuff in the sand on the beach and you kind of steam it there so that's the vibe but i am hiring someone else to set it up because the few times i tried to set up a clam bake i like didn't do the fire right so gonna bring in a professional clam baker get it set up for us and we're gonna sit on the beach and have a clam bake fantastic and also and and hygiene and etiquette sort of become like optional at at these sort of things like you can have butter all down your chin and just like wipe you could just wipe shit wherever you want it so you just dip your face in the ocean afterwards and you're good that's all it is that's what it's for you can tell a lot about a dinner party guest with like how they like get the meat out of a crab or a lobster or a clam like you know, are they using a knife? Are they using their teeth? Like, I think it will be very telling. Um, I remember growing up, my dad, he didn't really like get on us about like ladylike behavior. He has three daughters. Uh, but one thing he was like, please stop opening things with your teeth. <laughs> I have to say as an adult, that was good advice. Cause I would just, I would never even look for a can opener. I'd be like, I don't know. I'm going to just bang this and like open part of it with my teeth. Yeah. And yeah. he was like, okay, like I paid money for you to have braces. Can you stop doing that? <laughs> right. We have some old Dr. Seuss book, or it's not, it's not, it's by Dr. Seuss, but under a pseudonym where it's all about not breaking stuff, not breaking your teeth by breaking knots and opening bottles. And I find <laughs> that was me as a child. I was like, like why would I, I got tools in my mouth, baby. I'm a yeah, it I, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, that, 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 that's good. It's good to have some, some boundaries when it comes to cracking things open to, to eat. No, I agree. It's good. I mean, this is, we, we, whenever we, um, once a year we wind up like eating at the seafood place by the, by the ocean. And when it's over, like I have children who are covered in grease and ketchup or whatever, just throw them in the ocean, like just walk into the ocean, walk out. It's perfect. The salt is, you know, probably cleansing as well in some way. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's the perfect setting really for, for any kind of yeah, meal. You're curing them. You're putting a little salt on them, curing them up, putting them in bed and yeah. <laughs> letting well, them rest. Like- 
Yeah, eating any kind of like shellfish inside is just asking for trouble. Basically, yes. it's gonna get gross really quickly while while also being delicious. So, so outdoors is the way to go. Okay, that's uh, that's that's a that's a nice setting. That's a good what like where where where's this beach? It is in Rhode Island, which is where I grew up. Okay, we're gonna go oh. to a beach that I used to be the beach lifeguard at, and we're gonna have a clam bake. Oh wow! That's where in Rhode Island did you wake up? Where did you grow up? Uh, well, I guess I woke up for the first time. And uh, I grew up in Warwick, which is right by the airport. Uh, it's called the Providence Airport, but it's in Warwick. They just don't want to confuse people because most people only know Providence. <laughs> so I grew up right by the airport, about 10 minutes from Providence. But I worked down at the beaches. The benefit of Rhode Island being like it's at most one hour long. So I, I would drive about 40 minutes to work at the beach and people were constantly like, Oh my God, like, why do you commute such a long distance to go to work? <laughs> it's like, if you have a friend who lives 20 minutes from you, they're like, uh, I'm not coming to your house. Like that's very far away. <laughs> so I oh, wow. take them to East. I would say East Matunic beach is a really okay. nice beach in the South. <laughs> All right. This is and Gary's beach side right now. So you're there mentally. Oh. You're, you're, yes. you're in the, you're in the zone. That's 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 good. So okay. we're not we're not in Newport. We're not we're not among no. the um, yes. No, no, no. We're not the, Newport. The, the Von is Bulos. Like, There's no Von Bulos to be found. All right. Mm -mm. And I would say some of that Newport wealth is kind of what my book is satirizing. Like I've been to I have a friend who got married in one of the Newport mansions. Like literally one of the activities you do at, in Newport is called the mansion walk. And you just walk between all the mansions. These like titans of industry built in the 1800s. Wow. But uh, yeah, Newport is like for the America's Cup. It's for, you know, people who own boats. No one I grew up with actually lived in Newport. So it's yeah. it's like if you say to someone, oh, you live in New York, you live on like the Upper East Side. It's like, no, I do not. I live by the airport. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, my novel's about JFK Jr. So it by um, yeah. necessity had to take place at, at Brown. So whenever, mm -hmm. whenever I needed to know something, I would hop on Google Maps and just drive around Providence. And I loved it. I mean, I've been there once. Like, oh, yeah, I mean, you probably should go at some point in, in real life. I guess I should go yeah. to visit. But, yeah, but yeah. what a what a great city. Like, I, I just loved it. Like, just loved the feel of it. Loved yeah. Yeah, That's interesting. Actually, my first guess is a Rhode Island person, so we could get into it more there. But um, Providence, I, I um, was a distance swimmer all growing up and through college, and we trained in the Brown Pool. So I would I went to Brown twice a day. Uh, every day for probably 14 years. And I just, Providence has had numerous renaissances while I lived in Rhode Island. There was the Buddy Cienci Renaissance. And if people aren't aware of that, I will recommend that you listen to the first season of the podcast, Crime Town, which is about uh, Buddy Cienci was the mayor of Providence several times in between going to jail for crimes he was committing. And he has just a great art. He started off as a lawyer prosecuting the mob because there's like a, there used to be even a bigger mob presence in Rhode Island. <laughs> um, there's a whole show on Showtime called The Brotherhood about it. But then when oh, yeah, he become, yeah. became mayor, he started to take bribes and stuff and got like totally wrapped up in the mob. So it's like this very American story of like starting out as an enforcer and then getting wrapped up in all the crime. But he's like a hero when he was in jail the first time for beating up his wife's lover with a fire poker. Wow. Uh, like I had a shirt that said free buddy that I would just wear like unironically all around. <laughs> Rhode Island and people were like it was a crime of passion I would do it too let him out <laughs> and then the second time he went in because he embezzled like millions of dollars from the city 
But then he got out again and he won like 45 percent of the vote. He almost got elected mayor again. So he's wow. and he also has the best selling line of pasta sauces in the state called Mayor's Own. So mayoral politics are there's something about mayors that are just not not, yes. not connected to reality. I mean, Toronto is obviously no. we had Rob Ford for a while who was bad enough that he wound up on like American talk shows uh, for his behavior. Yeah. Um and uh, t- today, actually, our, our new mayor is being sworn in and she's like actually good, which is such a weird thing. She has like good politics, like rode her bike to City Hall, has been like an actual functioning, <laughs> effective politician her whole career. Um, and I just don't know what to do. I'm like, oh, it's, it's it's bizarre to have a normal mayor. We haven't had one ever, really, <laughs> or at least for, you know, 15, 16 years or something. So it's it's strange. Yeah, that's that's, that's, inter- that's a good idea for a novel. It does seem like mayors like obviously we have Eric Adams right now, who is just saying yeah. absolutely batshit things all the time. Yeah. And like Gary, the mayor, remember the mayor of Baltimore got out of office because she was stealing gift cards like meant for charity. The target gift cards, gift cards? for poor kids. Yeah. Wow. Best Buy. Best Buy. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like, like, okay. Like it's almost like they're like, all right, well it's like local level kind of, so I don't have to really clean up my act. No one's really paying attention. So many crimes done by mayors. It's kind of incredible. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's shocking. And people love an incumbent mayor though. I mean the, the, yeah. so our new mayor, Olivia Chow is she, she'd been in city council years ago, but uh, the previous mayor, this guy, John Tory resigned because he, he had a sex scandal, but it was more like a, a brief, like, which was bad enough because he's married, but it was also like uh, it was someone from the office. So it was very much a conflict of interest. Um, so he resigned. Uh, but after he got reelected, so it cost the city millions of dollars to have that point in the selection. But uh, but still, even after he resigned, if you polled the city, most people would still reelect him. They're like, no, no, forget the new other people. We'll we'll take the guy who just had to resign in shame. Um, and luckily, he didn't run but uh but yeah it's uh it's it's shocking people love a bad mayor yeah absolutely reelected 85 percent of the vote like by the time he died he had the most popular radio show in the state too like just he i think he just was like everything he did i think a lot of people in the state were like yeah i'd do that if i were the mayor i'd do that (laughs) relatable (laughs) yeah he was a relatable icon and people were like yeah nobody gets it a little crime's okay Okay. Okay. So, so we're on, since we're on Rhode Island and you have a Rhode Island guest, should we, should we, should we, is that who you were planning on on having come first? Yeah. Okay. All right. So who who do you have for us? First guest is actually the original Rhode Islander. It's Roger Williams who founded the state of Rhode Island. Right on Roger Williams. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. He, so he was born in England, but he came over in kind of the second wave of colonists. He was in Massachusetts. And he truly hated the Church of England. And after spending some time in Massachusetts, he was like, why are you guys such fucking simps for the Church of England? You haven't gone far enough. You have your own country. And eventually he like was so seditious and full of heresy. They were like, you got to get out of Massachusetts. We don't want you here anymore. So he was like, great, I'm going to start my own state that has religious freedom. And also we love the Native Americans. And he went to um he crossed over into first like kind of the tip of rhode island near massachusetts and they were like too close buddy keep going so he moved down over the providence river and he was greeted by the wampanoag indian tribe and they were super kind to him and he ended up founding the state there on the principles of freedom of religion, hating the Church of England, <laughs> and the separation of church and state. And later on, people like Ann Hutchinson joined him, who's another famous um, person. Right. And, you know, that's who the Hutch is named after in New York. But um, 
he was just someone who like started this whole trend where eventually they started to call Rhode Island Rogues Island because they had freedom of religion and they were like, we're all cool here, like no prosecution. Now that I'm talking, I'm realizing this is like where Buddy Cianci came from. So like Boston and Massachusetts would send all their murderers and thieves to go live in Rhode Island. And it was just like kind of this lawless place for a while where yeah. like you're like, don't mess with people because like <laughs> they could kill you. <laughs> and yeah, it was just founded on like not following the setup rules. And when I put my guests together, I kind of wanted to pick people who had been influences on me and who I feel influenced by personality in some way. And like we take in Rhode Island growing up, because obviously it's the smallest state, you take so much Rhode Island history, like yeah. <laughs> to the point where I'm like straight up, probably couldn't have told you even 10 states by the time I left because we were like, there's no other states. <laughs> um, also, like, it's very common for people in Rhode Island to either never leave or leave for college and then come right back. Um, I didn't really ever leave the state till I went to college. <laughs> it's such a long drive, so right? I, I mean, as you're saying, it takes like oh, 45, 50 minutes to get out of there. Yeah, no, that's 45 minutes to Boston. I can't do that. Oh, no. <laughs> but, yeah, I just respect that. Like, he was like, I'm not like I'm in a new country. I'm not following English rules. I'm starting my own thing. Send me your murders. Let's go. And he became friends with like the Narragansett tribe and a lot of um, he did a lot of writing on the Native Americans. And he did a lot of um, he puts a lot of pressure on people to make sure the colonists were paying for land if they were purchasing it from the Native Americans. Like, obviously, no colonist was 100 percent cool um, based on the fact that they were showing up to land that wasn't their own. But I will say of like many of the early colonists, he you know, made some effort to respect and live with and get along with the tribes of New England, which is what most of Rhode Island is still named for. You know, I grew up in Patuxet. Um, There's Gatsby, there's Narragansett, there's Pawtucket. So, you know, I think, I hope, I'd have to look into it, but I hope a lot of those names are still there because of like his land rights laws and the payment stuff that he was putting through. Yeah, that's a, uh, I, uh, I, I did my, my PhD in American literature, like 19th century stuff. And my supervisor is a Puritan guy. He's not himself a Puritan. Yeah. He's a, he's like a kind of surfer dude from California, but he's really, he studies the Puritans. So sadly, I know far too much about Roger Williams and Anne Hutchinson, uh, who's real. I really like, Anne. Yeah, he made us read the transcript of when they put her on trial and she's yeah. so good at playing these guys against each other. Like, cause it, <laughs> Because the whole point of, you know, like the 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 the, the Puritans wanting to come to, to Massachusetts is to get away from the Church of England. And then but nobody ever did it well enough. There's always somebody who was like, we could be we could be more different, actually. Yeah. And then Roger Williams <laughs> and Hutchinson, you know, it's it's a uh, it's 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 a weird it's a weird thing, because from like kind of a modern, like secular perspective, I'm like, you guys all believe the exact same stuff. Basically, yeah. like there's not a whole lot of debate here. And it's like. They preach a covenant of works. We preach a covenant of grace. They're off, you know, send them to Rhode Island or whatever. And and that's uh, that's kind of it's true. That that seems like what Rhode Island was for. It's like got a bad idea, you know, forged a coin. Yeah. Come on in. Open hands, baby. Yeah. yeah. And also, that's where the name Providence came from. Like he felt that um, the Native American tribe had like led him to a great place for them to settle. And like it was like the hand of God. Providence yeah. had shown them where to live. So that's why the city is called Providence. And he wrote, um, I think, one of the first books about uh, Native American languages. He wrote a book called a, a Key to the Languages of America or something like that. And yeah, it's sort of the first 
compendium in, in English, at least of, of some of the Native American languages from that part of the country, which is pretty cool. I mean, it's certainly way more attentive to that stuff than, you know, some of the, the other settlers at that time, for sure. Yeah. So. so for sure, like, again, like we're not saying like colonists are good, but I, I do think some people put in a little more effort than others. And <laughs> yeah. he definitely was trying it out. And like, you know, there aren't a ton of famous Rhode Islanders, I'm going to be honest. So we have many things named after Roger Williams. We have a park, we have a zoo, um, we have a college. <laughs> like, he's one of like our top guys when it comes to naming things. Oh, yeah. No, he's a good choice. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's funny. I mean, my, my, my partner's family on her dad's side are, uh, all go back to like the Mayflower, basically. So, you know, yeah. sometimes, uh, and they're descended from this guy, Miles Standish, who there's a poem <laughs> about him, Longfellow, but he's like, uh, you know, I, I'd read in, in one of these, like, because of my supervisor making me read this stuff, you know, he was just like one of the real naysayers, you know, like somebody wanted to put up a maypole and he showed up and told them to take it down. And they called him Captain Shrimp because he was red and short and angry and all of this stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> you could, there there are bad options amongst these Puritans. Roger Williams is a good draw. Miles Standish, maybe not so much, you know, a bit old of a Captain Shrimp, baby. Old Captain Shrimp, <laughs> not so, not so good. Well, that's um, a brutal nickname. At, yeah, it's not good. For that time, it's, they were like, "Yeah, it's, it's pretty savage." Um, so okay, when, so when Roger when Roger Williams comes, like, this is the main like sort of um, approach to like to thank you, Roger, thank you for founding this land, or is it like, "Hey, show me how to be a better rebel," or is it like, "Hey, look at look at what Providence is today, and look at RISD, and look at all the stuff," you know, like what's what's your overarching sort of goal that's what i'm thinking i'm thinking like before we head down to narragansett for our clan bake we'll go into the city of providence we'll <laughs> i'll tell him about buddy cnc we'll listen to some of the podcasts together <laughs> uh we'll go to federal hill in providence which is like um you know, a big Italian neighborhood. We'll have some fantastic Italian food. We'll go down and look at the Providence River, which became in the 90s kind of the site of one of the revitalizations. They put in something called Water Fire, where they put all these like, um, I guess like, they're not bonfires, but they basically light all these fires on the river and then by RISD. And there are art displays and performers and all this stuff to get people downtown. Um, so I just feel like, look, dude, like, Look, there's a we got our own Providence Place Mall. Like that's a huge deal. Yeah, we did it. We did it. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. did it, kid. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, like where I will say Rhode Island's still like a pretty religious place. So like definitely like they do vote Democratic, but like a lot of people are like Democrats who don't love abortion, but they'll still vote Democratic <laughs> a lot of the time. Um, so I think it'd be interesting to like maybe take him on some tours of, you know, maybe his own university, take him to some of the churches in Providence, show him Brown. Um, and really just let him feel the vibes of the place yeah. he created in 2023. Yeah, I think he I mean, you know, he's a Puritan. So there's always the possibility yeah. of him not being super open minded to say, you know, <laughs> women wearing pants or electric light yeah. or whatever. But but of of the Puritans, he's probably, you know, on the more open ended mind of the spectrum or uh, end of the spectrum. So, so that, that that's good. I mean. Uh, it, it would be nice to it's good that you're somewhere familiar like he knows yes. providence already <laughs> he's probably had a clam before you know that yeah. that's that that's a, that that all sounds pretty safe for 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 him that's a he's seen the ocean like yeah like yeah, i'm not like he's not getting off on mars he's just coming into providence <laughs> and there's roads and cars <laughs> yeah yeah it's just you know he's seen a horse a car's basically a horse he'll be fine it's 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 a soft it's a soft launch into the 21st century for for roger williams that's good Okay. Yeah, I think so. So that's uh so 
So obviously there's a lot to talk because you're from Rhode Island. There's a lot to talk about with with him on that front. Um, so one of the things we're always kind of thinking about is like the balance of guests. And it seems like you've thought about this pretty clearly, but, you know, not everyone in the world is going to have something to say to to, to Roger Williams. Um, so, w- yeah, who do you who do you bring in next to kind of like keep the balance going in this this dinner party? OK, well, next I'm going to bring in someone who is pretty much the opposite of a Puritan who is known for her famous wit, so she could make conversation with anyone. I'm going to bring in Dorothy Parker. Okay. I think Dorothy Parker would really impress Roger Williams with some of her witticisms. I also, she was quite cynical. Um, I used to teach one of her poems, Resume, in a college class I took, and eventually they were like, could you stop teaching that poem about how Dorothy Parker is trying to kill herself? (laughs) Um, It's a list of all the ways you could kill yourself. And... I was like, oh, okay, I guess so. But to me, that like just encapsulated kind of like her super dark sense of humor. Like, I mean, she's she was an alcoholic. She had drug issues. You know, she suffered in a lot of ways mentally and physically in her life. But, you know, she always managed to turn it into a humorous take on things. And she had all those famous yeah. aphorisms. I mean, this is one of mine. You can lead a whore to culture, but you can't make her think. Yeah. And I just love that one. <laughs> I uh, pulled up a few more of her. It's just like she was just the queen of the one liner. Yeah. Um, Beauty is only skin deep, but ugly goes clean to the bone. I love that one. Um, I think most writers know this one. I hate writing. I love having written. Yeah. That's, I think, a classic (laughs) for many, many people. Um, She also had this one, One More Drink and I'll Be Under the Host, which uh, obviously a comedic allusion to her drinking problems. I would guess that Roger Williams did not drink alcohol based on the fact that he was a Puritan. That seems to kind of be their thing. Yeah. Maybe he did. But this is a sober clam bake. I want to point that out. Okay. So I have stopped drinking. I don't drink anymore. Dorothy, girl, you shouldn't be drinking. Yeah. <laughs> so Roger Williams is not going to be drinking. And then my third guest is also like famously sober. So there's no booze at the clam bake. We're having spindrifts. Yeah, there's there's fire on the ground. Let's keep things as safe yeah. as possible. Let's uh, eliminate the, the the possibility there. Um, yeah, I'm guessing Roger Williams did not drink very much either, or it was like extremely weak beer because the water killed you back then, or something. So, so yeah, he, just tell him did the Dor- water's safe, and he'll be did fine. Dorothy. Did Dorothy Parker ever get sober? I don't believe she did. Unfortunately, I think that she. I know one of her 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 second husband died of a drug overdose after Alan Campbell, after they had moved to Hollywood and worked together. So Dorothy Parker is also a famous member of the Algonquin Roundtable in New York. So that selection of writers who are all known for their witticism. And I just love that like she she was not afraid to go there. Like she wrote theater reviews for Vanity Fair and eventually got fired because she was so brutal. All the theater producers were getting angry and they weren't inviting her anymore to the premieres. She was just like, when I think about like, again, people who had an influence on me, like she was probably the first female comedian I learned about where I'm like, wow, like people hated you for the stuff you said and you did not stop. Yeah. <laughs> you were going. Um, she wrote that famous, like she wrote some short stories too, but they were often kind of sad. So she wrote the story Big Blonde, which won the O. Henry Award in 1929. And it's really bittersweet. It's about someone you know, with self-esteem and drinking issues and just searching for love. And it (laughs) really feels like potentially something that she was going through. Um, She, you know, attempted suicide several times. She had an abortion that 
sent her into a depression. She, you know, she just like, she went through some hard stuff and I just have always, that's something, you know, we've all been through hard things as well, but I definitely have done some of what she's done in terms of like, turn some of my worst pain into comedy, you know, tragedy yeah. plus time. <laughs> and I've just always been fascinated by her and how she was so cutting and crisp and had an economy of words that was really incredible. And I, I just have always admired her despite the fact that she's like kind of a known jerk. But I feel like those are in some ways the best people to have at your dinner parties. Like, especially you get a Puritan and someone known for like oh, yeah. being a jerk. Like that's going to be good. And we're eating yeah, lobsters? Like, come on. Yeah, it's almost impossible to imagine uh, Dorothy Parker not making fun of Roger Williams in this situation, yeah. <laughs> uh, especially if he shows up in the actual, like, Puritan attire of the, the 17th century, you know? Like, yep. the 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 cloak, the hat, all that stuff. Like, uh, with, a big, with a big buckle on it? Like yeah, a, the like buckle. A yeah. A, yeah. I can yeah, see her yeah. being like, oh, are you going to throw me in the spire, you Puritan-ass-looking jerk? Like, yeah. <laughs> are you going to burn me at the stake? No, that's a that's a that's a that's a volatile combination. That's you don't need alcohol with that amount of friction, basically, no. between people already there. It's 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 fantastic. Um, yeah, no, she's it's interesting because I mean, like, she's one of those few people who obviously lived, you know, a hundred years ago or, or or so, approximately, who are still funny. Like that's where yes. the thing about the thing about comedy, as you probably know, is it doesn't like age very well a lot of the time. Like even. You know, you read something that was supposed to be funny in the from the 60s or 70s, and sometimes it is, but sometimes it's like, no, the the, the not just because it's like objectionable or whatever, but just like the tone of it sometimes just isn't funny anymore. Um, yeah. And her stuff, I mean, it's obviously very sad as well in a lot of ways, but some but yeah, of the she got pregnant yeah. from a guy and had to have an abortion. What she said was, "It serves me right for putting all my eggs in one bastard," which is like still so yeah. funny. Yeah. <laughs> Such a funny response to that. And like I, w- I could see someone like saying that on a sitcom now or something. Yeah, I know like, it feels it, it. It feels insulting to say so now because Twitter's such a, a garbage fire. But definitely one of those people who like had oh, that yeah. had a poster soul, you know. Like let's just write something devastating in a in a few lines and uh, uh, and, and, and you know that that that's a it's it's a skill for sure. Um, and yeah, you know it's 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 hard to imagine like like what's funny about you know some some sort of comedic people doesn't really translate as well but what she does definitely you can see how how she'd do just fine in 2023 if she wanted to, to yes. do this kind of stuff right <laughs> yeah i think she would just like come onto the beach and just take over the party like i think she'd have a lot to say about lobsters clams the ocean roger williams <laughs> sand so just someone who will not run out of topics to talk about at the party yeah, she's kind of the I, I think we were we talked about this before with some of the dinner parties is that Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where uh, they talk about how you need a like a, what they call a middle at the dinner party, like the person who sits in the middle of the table and like keeps the conversation flowing or whatever, like a point guard in basketball, you know, and, and Larry can do it. But his cousin can she could be a middle for sure. Like definitely yes. new topic, new topic. Let's move on. Roger Williams, perhaps not. Who knows? He might feel a little yeah. uh, a little want to return the, the topic to, you know the Bible a little too frequently for everyone else's. Uh, yeah. But, but I mean, these two have so much in common too. You know, they both were not only rebels, but like, like really reveled in the rebelliousness. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Like owned it and like took it to like the, I'm not only going to rebel, but I'm going to rebel and make it funny and 
make it funny and use like fun wordplay too. And then Roger, mm. I'm not only going to move out of here, I'm going to found my own thing and develop a whole. So they might have more in common than we yeah. realize, you know, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. And I have this quote, uh, I, this is off the Wikipedia page for Roger Williams, but like in October, 1635, the general court in Massachusetts tried Williams and convicted him of sedition and heresy. And they declared that he be banished because he was spreading, and this is a quote, diverse, new, and dangerous opinions. Mm. So imagine getting kicked out of the colony because they're like, you're too diverse. Your opinions are dangerous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like she, you know, she got kicked out of any fair. She, you know, she got kicked out of social circles for having these <laughs> opinions. But Dorothy Parker was also a huge um, social activist. She left her estate to Martin Luther King Jr. And upon his death, it passed to the NAACP. She was oh, huge with civil rights. Yeah, she like yeah. really, I think maybe she identified as like an underdog in some ways and someone who had trouble fitting into society and culture at large. Uh, she very much to me seems to have the mindset of someone who makes fun of things because maybe she yeah. couldn't be accepted. Um, she was listed by a communist at some point in 1950. Um, she was blacklisted on the Hollywood blacklist in Hollywood after that. So she wasn't able to work anymore. Um, she, uh, I'm trying to find the part about moving back to New York. When yeah, did she, she die? Just, he, uh... She died in, let's see, I believe it was the 70s. Yeah, it says um, she was cremated she died in 1967 of a heart attack at the age of 73. Yeah, she bequeathed her estate to uh, Martin Luther King and then the NAACP. Then her ashes were unclaimed for several years, which I wow. hate. And they sent them, ended up sending them to her lawyer's office. That actually happened with my childhood dog as well. My dad like never went back to get the ashes. We get a letter from the state that was like, you've abandoned your pet. <laughs> you oh, have no. to get her ashes. So, oh my God. Yeah, I have done this. Um, and in... Um, she so the NAACP ended up claiming her remains and made a memorial garden for her outside of the Baltimore headquarters. And I think now she is in the Bronx. Yeah, the NAACP gave her ashes back to her family, and her urn is now in Woodlawn in the Bronx. Yeah. So hmm. yeah. Interesting for you Strange know that her family didn't notice right away that they didn't have her ashes, but yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah. I think these are her later descendants. Yeah, I yeah, she, yeah. She was super close to her family, but you know, I think it's interesting. Yeah, to, like you were saying, Gary, I think these two do have more in common than you might think initially. Like they both were people who, in many ways, were like incredibly contrarian, which is also how I would classify myself. Like why I was a nightmare to have in Catholic school because I like would read the Bible like purely to poke holes in the nuns' arguments, and so. When I think about them, I'm really inspired by that type of person who is like, oh, y'all are doing it this way. I'm not doing it this way. And like, obviously, we know white women throughout the course of history have not always been or mostly not been on the side of racial justice. So for her, like in the 20s and 30s and 40s to be like, for sure, yeah, this is no like this is insane how we're treating people is, I think, you know, a big deal for especially with so many other women at that time were like. Okay, I'm just gonna do what my husband says. So, yeah, yeah, no, that's really cool. I, I guess I didn't. It's weird when I think of Dorothy Parker. I think of like maybe I'm just wrong about this, but it always seems like the 20s and 30s. You know, kind of like the jazz age. That seems sort of like the the. But obviously, she lived a lot longer than that, and and saw the mm -hmm. civil rights movement and and all that 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 sort of came of that in the 50s and 60s. So that's that's I didn't really realize that. I mean, I don't know why I thought she 
died in like 1940 or something, but obviously I've not well, I mean, a lot done of my research. Yeah. Drinking a ton and wanting to kill herself. So I could see how like you would not assume longevity, but most like of, most of yeah. that usually portends something worse, but yeah, that's, that's, that, that, that's good. You know, that I, yeah, that's, that's interesting. That's a good coda to her life. I didn't know about that. That's kind of, that's kind of cool. Um, I would try to also, gently steer the conversation toward that. If they get too contentious, her yeah. and Roger, yeah, <laughs> I'd yeah. be like, guys, you both also have done stuff for social justice. Should we talk about that? Mm. <laughs> and also how fun to show um, Roger all the progress we've made. And then to say, Hey, show him a snippet of the Orlando Sentinel from 2023 or the Miami Herald from 2023 and say, nothing's changed. Like, mm. look at this, Roger. So, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> that will be like the, the sad part of the dinner party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'll be in their swag bag, a copy yeah. of the... Uh, <laughs> Just when you thought things looked really good in 2023. <laughs> yeah. Here's yeah, a bunch of other stuff. Maudlin yeah. gift bag that I want you to take home with you. <laughs> a sadness bag. Everyone needs one at the end of the, at the, end of the night. That's perfect. Um. <laughs> Okay, so this is a this is a these are two new new guests we've never had Good. Roger Williams or Dorothy Parker before. Right. So you're 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 uh, also breaking new ground like both of them in your dinner party right. selection. Um, who's your who's your third? Who's your third guest? Uh, my third guest is still alive. He is someone I think about every day, <laughs> and. I uh, refer to him as my spiritual father, with my which my biological father doesn't love because he and I are very close. But uh, I want Stephen King to come to this party. Uh, I oh. love Stephen King. I read Pet Cemetery when I was eight years old, much too young. And his he has probably been the most formational writer because I just mainlined Stephen King from like the age of eight to 20. That's all I read. <laughs> and like I have photos of me. Like I remember on my wedding day, the photographer was like, oh, bring props. And I was like, what does this guy mean, bring props? So I was like, all right, I'll bring my favorite book. So I brought a copy of Misery. <laughs> and I took photos <laughs> of Misery in my wedding dress. <laughs> and now I use those photos just for fun. And the guy was like, that's not what I meant. Most people bring like their shoes or like their ring. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, oh, I, I want to bring my favorite horror novel <laughs> and take a picture with my spiritual father. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. I'm so fascinated by him. So yeah, he and he can just like come on down from Maine for the day. Oh yeah. That's that is that. awesome. Yeah, I I also those are books. I mean, I think everybody, you know, kind of who grew up in the the, the 80s or 90s, like those mm -hmm. things get passed around the schoolyard and it was like you had to yeah. read that some of them were so long it would be like this is my year, I'm just going to read this thing, but you the you know, you could get through them pretty quickly. That was yeah, definitely I'd go to the public library and he's one of the writers everybody knew, which is Yep. It was weird to think about. Like you'd see Stephen King in movies in the eighties. Like he was in one of those creep show movies, which were like his stories, but he played one of the characters. It's, it's hard to imagine a writer being that. I mean, he's still obviously alive and quite famous, but like a writer having that degree of like, I don't know, like word of mouth cachet, you know, for, for kids, especially like it was such a big deal. And you also, you saw his books everywhere. Like they were in CBS. Yes. A famous yes. a Rhode Island, a Rhode Island company based in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Woonsocket, yeah. baby. <laughs> <laughs> Woonsocket, I believe, like, is also a Native American word. So, yeah, another town, pretty much every town in Rhode Island is named after the Native American <laughs> tribe. So, <laughs> yeah, they were just they were everywhere. His books. Yep. Oh, yeah. I'm not I'm not going to brag about my my minor Stephen King connection, which is that my my partner's aunt and uncle or uh, they have a, a farm in Maine on this lake. 
Um, and their next door neighbor is Stephen King. I've, oh my I've, God. I, I've, I've not seen him, but apparently my dog, uh, once barked at him, but I wasn't, that was before, before I knew the dog. Um, and, uh, I've seen his dog many times kind of driving past these Molly little, the corgi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've seen the dog she, outside yeah, quite a bit. Corgis. And he calls him I, Molly, the thing of evil. <laughs> he'll, he'll post photos on Twitter. I'm like, I know that anonymous mm-hmm. wheat field you're standing behind. Uh, well, here's yeah. something very exciting. They're yeah. turning his home in Maine into both a Stephen King museum and a writing residency where you can spend the night. And if I don't get into this at some point, I don't know what I'm going to do. I went to Colorado and I visited the Stanley Hotel, which is the uh, inspiration for the Overlook Hotel and The Shining. Yeah, yeah. When I tell you I walked in this hotel, blacked out and spent $300 in the gift shop, it's like they have like oh, yeah. all the shining nameplates, the movies, they have mugs and everything. You go downstairs, there's a psychic, there's the typewriter where he type uh, uh, Jack types all work, all play, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Um, they've leaned, they've redone the bar area. So it looks like the bar from the shining movie. Like it is. Wow. My friends took me for my birthday and they're like, you legitimately had tears in your eyes when you walked in. It, it just was like, first off, to be so known by your friends, to be like, we're going to this hotel. Yeah, yeah. But secondly, just to see the bar that like Lloyd stood behind in The Shining and sit there and think about it. Because that is the hotel Stephen King went to that inspired the book. It's not um, it's not the Overlook Hotel where they filmed the movie. It was the Stanley in Colorado by SD yeah. Park. And just, and I'm a scaredy cat in some way. It's like his books really traumatized me, but I'm like, you know what? I would spend the night here. I would spend yeah, the yeah. night here and like hope to feel bad things. Have happening. you um, have you ever been to Bangor? No, because I feel like this is gonna sound very over the top, but to me, it's like a pilgrimage, and like I feel like I need to be prepared for it. Yeah. Like I need to. Yeah, you want to do it right? I would love. Yeah. Yeah, like when they get the house set up to the museum, I would love to do that. Also, like there are now. I'm in. Our Stephen King on Reddit with all my my people, and there are people who do like walking tours up there. And right now they're filming a show, Welcome to Derry, and so they're converting parts of Bangor into Derry, the fictional town where like it takes place and all the evil takes place. And so I want to go up and take the Derry tour and go to the museum and just like people will post photos of like a little ditch in the road, and they're like, I think this is where part of it happened, and everyone's like, Yes, page three sixty eight, and I just love that <laughs> i've i've done this i went to um I, it's not so yeah like uh, the house in bangor is one but the, the 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 house on the lake i know whatever the one of the towns nearby is apparently and i don't know my stephen king that well but it was apparently one of the models for maybe like under the dome or something like of a small town yeah. somewhere and there's this one uh diner in town that i guess stephen king likes to go to all the time so i went there and had the lobster roll or whatever and no no stephen king but that was okay but it was it was like very quintessential like small town maine you know like newspaper kind of uh spread out on the table and and all that stuff you know um nothing but pickup trucks in the driveway it was cool yeah Mm -hmm. so when stephen king comes is it i mean is it Let's talk about, I mean, let's, let's collaborate on a satire piece together. Or is it like, (laughs) thank you, Stephen? Or is it, Hey, like, just let's talk about sobriety. Let's like, like what's, 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 what's his, um, the goal of his visit. Not the goal, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So first 
tough. I'm going to call him DB. That's what he lets his fans call him. That's what I'm calling him. Yeah. Or I'm going to call him dad. Like, I'm not, I'm going to be inappropriate. Like, but I do feel like he's cultivated that relationship with readers, how he calls them constant reader all the time, which interestingly, Dorothy Parker also addressed her readers as constant reader. I figured out while doing research. So interesting. We just need Roger Williams to be calling people constant reader. But, um, so I'd call him Uncle Stevie or dad. And I, I love what, one of the things I like about him is like he, he had, I mean, he had a blue collar upbringing in Maine. His dad left the family when he was quite young. His mother raised them as a single mother. You know, his mother worked in a laundry, like an industrial laundry that he also worked in, which inspired one of his famous short stories, The Mangler, about the laundry machine. Oh, yeah. Um, and he talked a lot about, like, one of the reasons we're not going to do the clam bake ourselves is in The Mangler, he talks about, like, they would wash the sheets from, like, the local seafood store that would have maggots and lobster bits on them. <laughs> so he won't do any cleaning, obviously, at no. this event. But I want, yeah, I want him to come in and, like, he seems like, kind of now that he's sober. So um, for people who don't know, Stephen King was, like, notoriously both an alcoholic and a coke addict. He has no memory of writing the book Cujo which is about a mother and her son trapped in a car by a rabid dog. He does not remember writing that, even though it's very clearly a metaphor for what it feels like to be addicted to something. Um, he had to get off all that stuff when his wife basically did an intervention where she dumped out all the cans and like containers of Coke in front of him and was like, Cho choose family or drugs, choose right now. And he chose his family, thank God. Um, and then I believe in 2000, he was hit by a van when he was walking down the street yeah. The guy was like messing with his dog. And it was a horrific accident. He talks about it in his book on writing. He was actually writing that book. He got hit in the middle of the book and couldn't finish it for a while. When he came back, he came back from like the brink of death. So like he describes it in the book, like his body, his lungs had collapsed. Like in the helicopter, they kind of were like, mm, <laughs> that wasn't good. Yeah. Um, so he had a super long rehabilitation that he talks about. But yeah, so I feel like he can like, he and Dorothy Parker can kind of relate to like going through some of this tough stuff, like struggling with alcohol and drugs and physical pain and, you know, feeling suicidal. And then maybe Roger Williams can like offer them some like spiritual advice, like kind yeah. of counsel them and, and make them see that like they've moved on from this. So yeah, I, I want him to also like, I feel like he could get some good ideas from Roger Williams and Dorothy Parker. Like, I feel like he could talk about Salem's lot with Roger Williams. Oh my God. Yeah. Elements. All that um, like new England Gothic stuff. It's, it's right up, right up a Puritan's yeah. uh, wheelhouse for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like he and Dorothy Parker could talk about like gender politics and his books and stuff. Cause he does write some women well, um, in, um, Oh God, what is the name of the book? Gerald's Game, where the woman is handcuffed to a bed. Her husband tries to uh, basically assault her against her will. She kicks him away from her. He has a heart attack and dies. And now she's trapped, handcuffed to this bed by herself. So the whole book takes place in her mind. And she kind of goes through like her history of being sexually assaulted by a family member and like works it out and like finds her inner strength to essentially rip off all the skin on her hand to get out. And so I feel like that's a book Dorothy Parker might be able to relate to. Like yeah. the demons inside your mind being physically, mentally, emotionally trapped. So I think he's done some dark places she would appreciate. And I think Roger Williams might just be like, oh my goodness, I need to minister to these two. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, once once Roger Williams knows there's an evil clown in the sewer waiting to to capture lost souls, yeah. he'll he'll incorporate that into his theology somehow. He'll he'll find a way to yeah. account for all these things. Yeah, that's 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 interesting. That's and a good Uncle, combo. Yeah, when Uncle Stevie says, um, when Uncle Stevie says, Caitlin, what was your favorite book, and what was a book you think I could have you know done a little better? What do you what do you mm. say? Very good question. I deal with this every day. Uh, I would say <laughs> you wrote the ultimate beach read with the stand. The plague starts July 3rd. I read it every summer. <laughs> I think the stand is it, the stand also has huge elements of like good versus evil. Like Mother Abigail is obviously a God figure. You know, we have some problematic racial stuff with like black saviors in his work. So we'd have to like probably talk through that as well. But I would say the stand is just like an epic an epic battle of good and evil. Like you did a great job. I also just love, cause he talks in his book, like he had so many characters in the stand. He was in despair about how he could ever finish it. He had total writer's block and he was walking down the street before he ended up getting hit by the van doing the same thing later on. And he figured out what to do. I won't tell you because it's a spoiler halfway through, but he was so, he started weeping. He was so happy to have the block. And then he was so afraid he'd forget. He ran up to a car on the side of the road that was covered in dust and wrote the plot point in the car. And then like he went to his house, got his car, drove back and took a picture to make sure he wasn't wow. going to forget. And I just love like the idea that you're like, oh God, it's too many characters. What am I going to do here? And like having the idea kind of like come to you like divine providence to bring Dr. Yeah. Williams back in. <laughs> So I would say the stand and then for stuff you could have done better, not better per se, but I will say the books, Duma Key and Lisa, Lisa story he wrote right after his accident have very strange vibes. Like they read like someone who's coming out of a near death experience and I bet he would write them differently. Now they're very disturbing to read. They definitely read like someone who is writing to save his own life, which I also think no Dorothy Parker's poems read life. So perhaps they could also talk about, near death experiences, writing as a life affirming, life giving activity. Um, and then like Roger, I'm sure would weigh in with like some God talk, but <laughs> I feel like we could take the dinner party up to like a higher level. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I, that's, those, those are both, I, I haven't read those ones. I, I remember trying to read, mo I think I made, maybe I made it all the way through the stand at some point in high school. It is really long. I, I was yeah, almost like, the unedited yeah. version is 1300 pages long. Yeah. I, well, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if he, I don't know why he, I, never, I guess he never wrote that many of them, but pretty much all of his like short stories and night shift, they're all good. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's like, yeah, not all, but like a strong percentage of them are like really memorable. Like when I reread it, you know, 20 years later or something, I was like, oh yeah, this story actually haunted me for 10 years or something. He actually and, uh, has tons of short story collections. Yeah. So the one a lot of people talk about is The Jaunt. Um, I don't know if you've read that one. I'm not going to say anything about it, but the final lines of The Jaunt stick with people like every week in the Stephen King subreddit. Someone will just post, oh my God, guys, I just read The Jaunt. What the fuck? And then there's like 500 comments that are like, I know, right? All right. <laughs> yeah. I'm that I'm going to write that but one I, down. That's a, that's a keeper. Always looking. So good, but his kind of like iconic collection of shorter stories is called different seasons. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I'm not in, and they're really novellas, but so they are um, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, which became every dad's favorite movie of all time. Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> it's like that in Hunter Red October, like 
dads can like sense when it's on TV. They're like, if I, if I can't hear a Russian sea captain who has a Scottish <laughs> accent, I'm not interested. That's all I, that's all I want to hear. So that's the first story in that book. Incredible. Um, and also like just a side note, obviously I know too much about Stephen King, but, um, Morgan, the character's name is read in the book because he's an Irish guy and they just cast Morgan Freeman as a joke. And that's why that joke is in the movie. Someone's like, why is your nickname red? And he's like, I'm Irish. Can't you tell? Um, and I just love that they were like, yeah, we're not going to we're just going to cast the best actor here. Like, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. We can keep yeah. that line in. And then the second story in there is Apt Pupil, which was made into a very upsetting movie. The story itself is one of the most upsetting things I've ever read in my life. It's about a kid who discovers his neighbor is a hiding Nazi and he becomes obsessed with him and forces him to tell him all the atrocities he committed. And then he himself becomes perverted by this. So like wow. Stephen King, I, I yeah, yeah. like he keeps returning to this theme of like evil creeps out of the original person or thing and infects others. The third story was the, uh, the body, which became stand by me. And then the fourth one is a, a, it's either, I think it's called a winter's tale and that has never become, <laughs> or the breathing method, I think. And that's yeah. never become a movie, but like three, like incredible short stories, one movie, just okay. Two movies, iconic movies, like pretty high hit rate out of a yeah. novella collection. <laughs> yeah. River yeah, Phoenix yeah. and stand by me is mm. so good. I mean, just mm -hmm. that movie and it came out of nowhere and it was just, that was awesome. That's yeah, one of his yeah. strengths is like writing both like childhood and nostalgia in a way that's really yeah. well done. Like it's funny now, like I, I read it in its original form with ends with all the children having essentially a gangbang to like get rid of evil. They don't really publish that ending anymore. Like when they do the adaptations, they don't feature that. Have they um, taken it out of the book as well? Is that uh, it's not out of the book, but people don't really yeah, it doesn't... mention it as much. They're like, oh, so then all the 12 year olds all have sex with the one girl and that gets rid of Pennywise. <laughs> I remember reading that as a child and thinking like, this is even, the, even as a kid, I'm like, this seems to have taken a turn into something I'm not supposed to be reading. I better hide this book. This is not good. Yeah. I did the same. Yeah. It's like he sometimes like out of nowhere, you're like, Ooh, dad, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he, he's just like, so I love that. He obviously does like supernatural horror, but then, you know, he has some stories that are really about, the human spirit like it's debatable if i mean in the shining there is like he uses the technique of like there are some chapters written from the point of view of the hotel um but in many ways it's mainly a book about alcoholism and domestic violence like those yeah. are is the evil those are the evil um and a lot of, yeah i just appreciate that a lot of his books like i'll read the back and i'll be like i'm not interested in this when i read the back of 11 22 63 i was like i don't care about time travel i'm not a huge jfk person i read the first five pages and his character work is so excellent i was like okay dad i'm gonna read this and it's so so good yeah yeah i was just gonna mention that it's like it's at least it's always it's always interesting it's like oh Steve, yeah. there's a new book about jfk and time travel from well, Stephen yeah, even yeah. if it doesn't work at least it's like who would have thought of this you know it's it's yeah. an interesting concept um so he famously didn't like kubrick's yeah. the shining right how do you where where are you where do you stand on the the kubrick shining i uh, <laughs> i was participating in an online debate about this yesterday so it's okay all right you're life. prepared <laughs> um i think the reason he and a lot of other people don't like it is that like the movie like in the book, there's kind of this pivotal moment where, and, and I think this is because, you know, Stephen King 
was an addict and he did go through recovery and he's living in recovery. At the very end of the book, the real Jack comes is manages to fight past like all the evil of the hotel and says to Danny, Danny, run. Like he basically is like, I'm not your dad anymore. And that doesn't exist in the movie. He's just like more no. evil from the beginning. And I think people were like, but the whole point of this is like at the very end, he's willing to die so his son can live. Like he he pushes through the addiction. <laughs> and so like it's a small what would appear to be a small shift. And I understand why they did that, but I think that for a lot of people kind of took the heart out of the story. Like that's yeah. Jack from the beginning. I mean, he's pretty terrible to Sherry Duvall from like minute one. He is bad at his job interview. Like you kind of know he's like not a good dude. Yeah. Um, also, I guess Stephen King had an issue with Jack Nicholson had just played. Um, he had just played. I think it is it McNulty and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah. So yeah. Was like yeah. The audience perception is already that he's like not a good guy. So like right off the bat, there's no like character arc of him being taken over by evil. Um, yeah. So that's his issue. I think they're both good in their own right. Um, you know, obviously the visuals are incredible. The ambiance is incredible. It's a huge visual achievement and it's an incredible film. Yeah. You know, how it many does, movies it, have someone kissing a dead corpse in a bathtub? I mean, not yeah, a lot, honestly. <laughs> speaking of, um, of, of Stephen King hooking you though, there's a good story of, uh, of, I mean, you probably know it, but like of, when Kubrick was looking for a project, he wanted to do a horror story and his assistant just gave him these piles of, of, you know, horror novels basically. And I, I think she said that, you know, she just, you know, he, he'd sort of knew and then she'd hear it like hit the wall about a minute later. Like he just throw it away, horrified by it. And when she didn't hear the clunk, she knew that he finally had it. And it was the, the, the shining, of course, the one thing that like got him in cause he didn't throw it against the wall after a couple of minutes, which, uh, <laughs> you know, a high bar for Stanley Kubrick to finish a book, I guess, but at least he did. So, so there's that. And I'm not ash I'm not ashamed to say that um, I'm as Ross and I are as refined and sophisticated as they come, as you can tell. <laughs> but when ACDC's Who Made Who starts playing during Maximum Overdrive, I got to say, I'm about as 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 bro and as pumped up as 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 you can get. I mean, that yep. is one of the pivotal moments in cinema. I think so. Did he yeah. direct that movie too? I think he did. Like he directed oh. one of his movies. Um, and it, like, he's not a good director. Like, no. uh, <laughs> let's see who directed. Yes. He directed maximum overdrive. Wow. That's what I'm saying. It's like, what writer is famous enough that they're like, yeah, sure. You do it. Whatever. We just, we want to make your movie. We want to option this so badly that we'll let you direct it. You know, like also trucks. It's, it's the story it's based on is a batshit insane story. It's a story about trucks becoming self-aware at a, at a rest stop and yeah. trying to kill all the people. And Stephen King was like, you know what? Of everything I've ever written, this is this the is one. The like one, I have yeah. to direct. <laughs> and there's a great podcast. I think it's called the King cast where they have like, famous writers and actors on to talk about their favorite Stephen King books, which means they do some of the same books over and over. Um, sure, yeah. But they had Timothy Simmons on from Veep, the guy who plays Jonah. Oh, and yeah. Oh. He, he was so great. He grew up in Maine. He talked about The Long Walk, which is the, a book Stephen King wrote as Richard Bachman. It's this like dystopian America. Some people posit the theory it's America like several generations after the events of The Stand. <laughs> Not Interesting. canon, but... Interesting. Um, and basically, they have this competition where sixteen-year-old uh, boys just walk until there's only one of them left alive. Like, if you walk less than four miles an hour, you get shot. 
lot of them just die on the road. But Timothy Simmons in this podcast is like, I grew up right by that highway. They walk on and he's like, I would always walk on it and think how far would I make it in the long walk? And I'm like another comedy person whose brain was like totally perverted by Stephen oh, yeah. King at a young age. I'm like, so every day you're driving on the highway, you're like, would I be dead at this point? Would I still be in it? Well, every, t- <laughs> every time I'm at this place in Maine and I'm walking somewhere to like the, the lake or whatever, I'm like, is this the same road that he got hit by that van on? And I'm always, there's no yeah. traffic, not a car, not a car goes by for 15 minutes. And I've still got like more so than in Toronto where it's just like traffic accidents all the time. I'm, I'm always looking out for the van behind me. Cause I'm like, if they got Stephen King, they can, they can get me too. It's, it's terrifying. <laughs> Um, yeah, I just, and like he, so his book on writing is excellent. It's an excellent, excellent writing guide. Uh, Rothman, if you've ever assigned it to your students, but highly recommend it. Yeah, um, yeah. Students love, I've put, I've, there are some scenes that are like not, he just, he's so good at describing horrific things. So like at one point yeah. he's describing, he would get these horrible ear infections as a kid and he had to go get his eardrums lanced, like burst with a needle. Yeah. And the way he describes it, it's just as frightening as anything in the scene. <laughs> Like it's oh, man. very upsetting. Um, yeah. But he talks about his writing process in a way that I think I've realized is like very valid to me as well, which is why I wanted him at this dinner party. So when he talks about writing Carrie, which was his first novel that sold, like when he was 13, he read a he read a lot of, you know, science fiction and like horror magazines obviously so he had read about telekinesis and like you know the power to move things with your mind and he read it often comes on in puberty like for whatever reason so tk as he calls it like when i started to like read things that had tk in them like the grammatical thing i was like wow there's people talk about telekinesis a lot more than i thought growing up (laughs) it took me a while to realize they didn't mean tk like telekinesis they meant to come yeah um but he so he read that, and then I think it was like 20 years later, maybe, maybe, no, it was um, probably 10 years later. He worked as an English teacher during the year, but he didn't have enough money. He was married. He had some young kids. So he was working as a janitor during the summer, and he went into a women's locker room for the first time and saw a tampon dispenser, which he had never seen. And he's like, and those two ideas like came together in my head, the idea that like a young girl would go through puberty, her telekinesis would kick in. That's where that scene comes from in the movie where they throw the tampons and say, plug it up when she gets her period for the first time. And the book itself is interesting because I think a lot of people have seen the movie, which is great. Yeah. And he likes that adaptation. But in the book, as you go through the story, he does the thing where he puts in almost like these expository elements that are reports from what's called the Carey Commission. And so even from the beginning, you're like, wow, something went really wrong in this town. Why are they investigating this? And then yeah, you yeah. Think, like, more and more people are dead. You get more and more details. And that's like a great heightening technique that leads to the end of the book when Carrie kills pretty much everyone in high school. Yeah. Um, but that's something I found myself doing as well when I started to write novels, because I was kind of like, mm, damn, 80,000 words. How are we going to get there? Yeah, yeah. So writing some like epistolary elements, like yeah. news stories and reports and the framing devices, chapters. all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's, it's he's inter- someone who I think he does like this creative, he has a lot of tools in his toolbox for ratcheting up tension in states. Yeah. And very important to learn. <laughs> and remember, remember he also did that, um, wrote that book where he it was one chapter a month and you got it in the mail. Was it The Green Mile? I read that serialized. There wasn't another book. Yeah, that was it was The Green Mile. Yeah, The Green Mile came out, I think, in six little things. And I read them all with my mom. I think I was like 14. <laughs> but that was so special, right? To have like a book come out serialized like that. Like, I was like, 
This was, would have been like reading Charles Dickens in the newspaper. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing great yeah, expectations it, week to week. So cool. Yeah, it's interesting. It just, I mean, I guess with the internet now, there's like versions of that, that it can happen a little more, but it's not going to have the same like mass cultural appeal as like, yeah, the new, the new, the new Dickens chapters or the new Stephen King chapters <laughs> or, or, or whatever. That's interesting. Um, well, okay. That's a, that's okay. So you've got a lot to, I think what we've established clearly is that you have a lot to talk about with Stephen King. That's uh yes. that's uh you, you've, you've got the, if the conversation lags with, with Roger Williams or Dorothy Parker, you've got, you've got a few, a few, a few things to say to, to, to uncle Steven. So that's, uh, that, 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 that's <laughs> Unky Steven. Sorry. I'm getting too formal here. But, uncle uh, Stevie. Unky Stevie. <laughs> uncle Stevie. All right. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm and forgetting. I think they would genuinely enjoy each other. I think, the three of them would respect one another. They would have a lot to say. They've all dabbled in darkness. They've all had hard times. And I think we could have some like really good icebreakers at the start. But then I think the conversation would flow pretty naturally as we eat our lobster. And like, I could see us going skinny dipping and maybe Roger wouldn't want to take his clothes off. But like, I don't know. I think he, can get, that, he can get that frock wet. That's all right. He, yeah. can, he can get in there. That's, that's okay. he, could, he could keep his hat with the belt buckle on. That's right. That. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess they never something, but yeah. So Caitlin, all all of the darkness and all the spiritual elements, they all kind of coalesce. And at the end of the dinner party, like you're allowed to like choose one person and like throw them in the ocean where they perish. Mm. <laughs> you clearly have some thoughts on 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 people like Brock Turner's dad. <laughs> what do you choose to throw in the ocean? And we don't have to go there if 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 you're not, but yeah. Stephen King has another great story called The Raft, where people at a raft realize there's like something eating them when they go in the water. So maybe we like have the raft set up and we're like, yeah, yeah. The raft. Um, because then we could kind of like in good conscience just leave the beach and like it's just manslaughter, it's not murder. Um <laughs> you could do less time. <laughs> um, but I would say these days, who would I put on there? Um Hmm. There's really too many to choose from at the end of the yeah, day. I know. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. an unfair really question. Draft. Um, All right. Yeah, I, I think maybe what we would do is, and when I was brainstorming guests, part of me wanted to pick people who, like, I felt needed historical revenge, and then at the end we'd go on like a revenge tour. Like, I was like, oh, Rosalind Franklin, we could like go get her, her credit for her Nobel Prize that Watson and Crick stole. Um, she found the double helix, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I that's a good question, but can you I get, probably should say who I would kill on air. Can you get like one of uh, maybe what what how many of six Supreme Court justices do we need to get on this thing before we can turn it around? Any any of that that, that we don't have to name names. You know it's just like a certain percentage. Let's get forty yeah. percent guys on a raft and and see what there happens. Two especially, I think, would really yeah. You know, I was going to mention. I was going to mention some raft worthy members. I was going to mention Anita yeah. Hill on your on your revenge tour, but yeah, yeah. yes. Well, yeah. yeah, maybe she could come by. We could have some like an after dinner, like sober drink, and yeah, she can watch one of those people on the raft who she is familiar with get eaten by the oil that's going to come up and get her. So get him. <laughs> but yes, I think she would enjoy coming for the after party. Yes. It's true. You would have to say something that time. That's that's a moment where you have to. He famously never speaks, right? So that would be in in uh, in court. So he'd have to complain about the raft situation. That that seems fair. We'd, be, I'd, we'd put him pretty far out, so we'd just be like, "We can't hear you. We can't so hear sorry. you." <laughs> Maybe you should jump off and swim back in. 
all the, they, they're all friends with these billionaires with yachts anyway. They can just call one of them to come and, and get another free, free, free trip on the yacht or something and uh, get away. Maybe we'll see. Yeah, it's interesting. Not getting away. I'll tell you no, that no. much. Good. Not, not, from, not, Steve, not from this dinner party. <laughs> not if Stephen King's there. Not a, and not if you're pulling the strings. That's good. All right. <laughs> cool. Well, it's good. It's a fun dinner party uh, with a macabre ending, which is only suitable really for uh, for the guest of honor, uh, Stephen King. Um, that's good. You had a there was a a lot of uh, a lot of connections between the guests there. A lot of uh, a lot of a lot of thematic overlap. That's good. You've you've taken you've taken the assignment to heart. We appreciate it. It's good. Thank you. <laughs> Sounds like a fun dinner. Um, well, thank you so much, Caitlin, for joining us. It's been awesome to to talk to you about your guests and uh, to hear what you've been up to and. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, look forward to reading this novel once it's, once it's out there in the world, I'm already, I'm already sold on the premise. So I, I just, <laughs> just, just mail me the copy directly. It's fine. I'll, uh, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, the check is in the mail. Um, okay. That, that's wonderful. Thanks so much for joining us. And Caitlin, thank, thank you, you very me. much. Thank you so much. Okay. So thanks everybody for listening as well. Uh, this has been the official dream dinner party podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Ross Mullen. And I'm Gary Allmeter. Join us next week. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Or whenever. um, Next week, month, year. Who knows? Bye. The official Dream Dinner Party podcast is hosted by Gary Allmeter and Ross Bullen. Terry Bullen produces the podcast. Our theme music is Cruzero by Eaters. If you want to support the show, like, subscribe, leave a review, or share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.